Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of People Power. This week I am so excited because we have Crystal, the global CHRO for Fleet Corps, which is the parent company of CorePay. Um, so it's really exciting to get to talk to someone from the Fleet Corps side of things, getting to see kind of the big picture. I'm so excited to have you here, Crystal. And I was wondering, would you tell us a bit about your role and kind of how you landed with Fleet Corps, how long you've been there? Sure. And I just want to say, Sarah, that I am so happy to be here on People Power with you today. So I've been with Fleet Corps for a long time, almost 19 years. It'll be 19 years this summer. I started in the summer of 2003. And while my role has been the same for that entire time, my job has been completely different. So when I started out as the, my title was director of HR, I was the head of HR for the whole company, just as I am today. But the company looked completely different. We were a small regional fuel card provider. And when I came in 2003, the company was founded in 2000. So when I came three years later, um, it was the first year the company broke even. The, the two years before, we had lost money and were wondering if we were going to be able to be, you know, an ongoing for-profit company because we were having so, so many problems. Uh, but we turned it around and Ron Clark, who is our CEO, had a vision for the company. And as they say, the rest is history. So we first started out by expanding that fuel card company. And actually in 2010, when we went uh, public, we were called Fleet Corps, the global fuel card company, because we really only had fuel cards for those first number of years. And then we expanded into um, international fuel cards. Then we expanded into like companies like Login that have a customer base that travels that um, needs, a needs a product that's geared towards small and mid-sized businesses. Then we expanded into the payable space, which is obviously core pay. At the time it was comp data. And then we expanded into tolls in Brazil. And then we expanded into cross-border and the company uh, has grown from the kind of circa 200 in two states to 10,000 in 20 countries since I've been here. Wow, that is so much growth. And it's really cool that you've gotten to see it happen. It's so hard for me to believe that there's ever a point where Fleet Corps was not just totally chugging along. <laughs> Indeed, it was not. I mean, it was a lot of hard, hard work. And as Ron will say, it wasn't always fun in the beginning, making some very hard choices to make sure that the company could continue on. Um, but we did. And, you know, there are a few of us still left from from those early days. And it has been a wild and fun and crazy ride. And people often ask me, why, why have I stayed over the years? And it's because the company has been so different every, you know, four to five years, it morphs and changes into something else. And I get to learn something new. Um, I love to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. And if I had to do the same thing all day, every day, I would have been gone years ago. I so hear you on that. I love that my role has some variety too. I don't think I'd be able to handle 
19 years of the same exact thing. So I completely mm-hmm. identify with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you're a lifelong learner, but what else do you like to do in your free time? Well, other than spending time with my grown children who don't want to spend time with me anymore, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they are uh, 21 and 24 at this time. Um, I love to read and mostly I love to read trashy novels <laughs> and um one of my favorite novels is a long uh, one that was published long, long ago. I was still in high school then, and it's called The Thorn Birds by Colleen McCullough. And they actually turned it into a TV movie back in the day. And it was, you know, a love story um, between, if all of all things, a Catholic priest and a young woman. Oh, and yes. And it's, you know, kind of a little bit spicy here <laughs> and there. And you learn little things about Catholicism. It's set in Australia. So, you know, that's my second love is traveling. So reading and traveling. So it kind of encompassed all things, all things in this, in this one book. But anyway, love to read in my free time. Um, I do love to travel. I have never been to Asia. So I want to get to Asia before I'm too old and decrepit to enjoy it. Uh, (laughs) Both my sons have been to Asia and absolutely love it. Um, They are their sport that they did while they're growing up. My youngest, my younger one is still doing was fencing. And oh, they're wow. sab- yeah, they're saber fencers. And so when they were really young, I started showing them the world. And as they got older with fencing, they showed me the world. Um, and I just, I just love that. Uh, I've been all over Europe with them fencing all over the U S with them fencing. And they have been to, Asia, Russia, and other places with Brazil, uh, without me, they went with my husband fencing as well. So, um, you know, yeah, we picked a sport that allowed us to do our traveling all together, which was kind of a wonderful thing. Yeah. That Um, is so cool. It's very cool. It is very cool. Um, the other thing that's included in, in travel is I, I have to get to the beach at least once a year, uh, preferably three times a year, but at least once a year, that is how I refresh and recharge is to walk barefoot on the beach and let the sand go between my toes. To me, that is the most relaxing, recharging thing. And my staff heard me talk so much about it, my team did, that they actually made me a sandbox and brought, and they made a box for me, created a box and had sand shipped in from Florida so I could put my feet in the sand here at work whenever I need to recharge. That is awesome. That is so cool. <laughs> yes. I love them for that. I really do. And what a great team. That's yes. so smart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They say that I try to take care of them. So they're trying to take care of me as well, which, you know, that is what being a team is. You take care of one another, you collaborate, you laugh together, you cry together, you work together, you play together. Yeah. You make your friends and your team members sandboxes. That's the coolest exactly. thing. Exactly. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So we love traveling, reading, and I also want to know, what is your favorite movie? That is a hard question. I cannot narrow it down to just one, so I have to pick two. 
Um, the first one is the mummy. Um, not the mummy I grew up with, which many people will not remember. It's so old. I think it was in black and white. Um, and not the newest mummy with um, Tom Cruise, but the in-between mummy with Brendan Fraser and, and Rachel Weisz. I love um, that movie. Yes. Again, I'm a sucker for a love story. <laughs> so it's a little bit of love story. It's a little bit of history. Um, it's a little bit of fun and sci-fi and thriller-ish. So it puts all the things that I love in a movie um, together, you know, not to mention the two of them had great on-screen chemistry, I thought, um, during the movie. And of course, there's a little bit of comedy in it as well. So just one of my all-around favorites, my kids will say, you know, whenever we're, we're wanting to have a family movie, not about, okay, let's watch The Mummy. They're like, <laughs> mommy please the mummy again (laughs) yes yes there's never enough brendan fraser in my opinion exactly exactly (laughs) and then my second favorite or maybe a close 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 second is the avengers the original avengers with um the marvel one you know not infinity wars or any of the new ones i've seen them all but the (laughs) first one is still my favorite because they're getting to know one another as a team and you watch them evolve as a team throughout the entire movie. I mean, at first there's egos involved and, you know, Thor says people in the U.S., I mean, in the on earth are tiny and egomaniacs and, you know, Iron Man's going off doing his thing and Captain America's trying to hold them all together and they're not cooperating. But by the end of the movie, they have gotten it together and they are clicking like there's no tomorrow. And I just, I just love the story. Yeah, that is a great one. I think you're totally right that it just, it sets such a great stage. It's hard not for it to be the best Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You have great taste in movies and you can come over to my house for a movie night anytime. I appreciate that. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, I'm wondering, what has your career path looked like? Like, where did you start? How did you get here? Kind of your journey. You know, I marvel at people who know exactly what they want to do from the time they're like 15. You know, I, I'm, I'm well past 15. I won't say how old I am, but I'm <laughs> definitely getting up there in years. And I'm not sure I still know what I want to do when I grow up. Um, so I marvel at those who do. I didn't. I majored in psychology in undergrad, and I thought I wanted to go into clinical psychology. And back then, um, basically kind of what you did was counseling. You know, today they call it therapy. And back then it was a little bit different than it is today. I worked in what today would be called an inpatient facility for those who have um, addictive behavior. And my, my patients were adolescents between the ages of 12 and 18 who were either drug abusers or alcoholics. Um, and that's why they were in the inpatient facility. And I worked the swing shift. I worked from three till 11. And so the morning shift, the kids were in school, so they didn't have to do too much. The night shift, you know, 11 till seven in the morning, they didn't have to do too much because the kids were asleep. So everything fell on the swing shift. 
And so, yeah, we, so we did therapy with the kids. Um, We made sure they did their homework, but those hours that we worked were the bulk of the time that, you know, all of the problems would come out, all of the behaviors um, that weren't so great came out that you had to work through, et cetera. And so one day, and we had to work weekends as well. So one day it was a weekend, it was a Saturday. I was working and one of my kids had been very depressed and we had been talking and um, he went in his room and I heard something. So I went in the room and he had tried to commit suicide. And I said, this is not for me. No, I am ill-equipped for this. I mean, obviously the doctors would come in, the the true, you know, PhDs would come in, um, once a week to see the kids, but it wasn't nearly enough. I said, this whole system is broken. I cannot do this. So I did a little bit of everything. Went back to school, got a master's in psychology, still thought I wanted to be in psychology, but did a little bit of everything until I kind of just fell into HR. And I said, oh, you know, this sounds kind of good. I can use my psychology training in a corporate setting and because HR is definitely, you know, part therapist, yeah. if you will, <laughs> to people. And I thought, okay, this is great. This is great. This is great. This is, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and I, one of my jobs was at NBC, the um, TV network oh. and the head of HR there. Uh, we didn't call them CHROs back then. They were just head of HR. He was the head of HR for all of NBC globally is by the name, a guy by the name of Ed Scanlon. And he was my idol. I just marveled at how he could figure out what to do in every situation and be so supportive to the business back when HR was barely out of the personnel days. And for those that don't really know, you know, HR has evolved from personnel kind of rule makers to hopefully partners with the business, trying to help the business leaders move their businesses forward through people. So we try to create practices that are support and a culture that's supportive of that. So barely out of the personnel days, this is what this man was doing. And I'm like, I want to be just like him if I ever grow up. (laughs) And that's when I decided to, you know, I have this liberal arts background in psychology. I have a master's in psychology. They really didn't have any business classes at the college I attended. I'm like, ah, I don't know anything about business. Let me go back to school and get my MBA, which is what I did. And coming out of B school, I went to work for a consulting firm at the time called Sibson Consulting. It's been since bought by Siegel. And lo and behold, there was a guy there named Charles Freund. And for those of you who do not know, Charles Froing is Fleet Corps' CFO. He has been with Fleet Corps longer than I have. He started in 2000. And at the consulting firm, we worked together on a couple compensation projects. But then he worked with a guy named Ron Clark mm-hmm. while Ron Clark was at ADP. He consulted with Ron. So when Ron decided to come be CEO here, he brought a couple people with him. Charles was one of them. And I was still at Simpson then. Uh, but the, and we were, by the way, in New Jersey, all of us. 
And my husband decides, okay, we're going to move to Atlanta. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of like my job, blah, blah, blah. Moving to Atlanta. I'm like, okay, fine. Move to Atlanta. Move to Atlanta. Lo and behold, Fleet Corps needed an HR person. I called um, Charles and another guy I knew, Scott Ruoff, and said, hey, I see you need an HR person. How's this Fleet Corps place? They're like, you got to come. And I'm like, okay. So I met with Ron and Ron's entire management team and they hired me and here we are. And that is how we got here. I got here, I should say. That is so interesting the way that worked out, that it was uh-huh. <laughs> all the people that you met along the way that got you where you wanted to be. Exactly. Exactly. I so identify with that not knowing what you want to be when you grow up. I don't know yet either. And I don't know if I ever will. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. You know, I think that's um, kind of a thing, you know, that, you know, if I had known one thing at the beginning, I stressed a lot about not knowing what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. And knowing what I know now, it just, I would have told myself, don't stress, don't stress. You're going to figure it out. Some people change careers. The average, the average person changes careers, not jobs, careers four times in their lifetime. Oh, wow. Exactly. And so I feel like I'm behind the curve. I've only done it really twice. I mean, the, <laughs> the other jobs that I had kind of in between the psychology jobs and the HR jobs were just jobs to pay the bills. So I don't consider those a career, mm-hmm. but I did think I wanted a career in clinical psychology. And of course I do have a career in HR. So I've only changed careers twice. So I, I've still got a couple more in me at this, at this rate I'm going. Yeah. You have two more. I can't <laughs> wait to find out what they are. Exactly. 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 Something in nonprofit will likely be the next one. I love that. That is a great fit, I think. What advice would you give someone that wants to pursue a career similar to yours? Okay, so in HR, whenever I ask someone in a- why they want to be in HR, they say, I want to be in HR because I love people. That is the worst answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it seems counterintuitive. It does. What's the best answer? (laughs) The best answer is I'd like to help people live up to their potential in the workplace. Oh, that is a good answer. Yeah. And the reason I love people is not the best answer is because there's, there's two reasons. One, people don't always behave, unfortunately. (laughs) So people, let's just say, as an example, people may come to work. It's a little bit different now that we're all remote, but back in the day when people all came into the office, uh, people, you know, a person might come to work habitually late. Every single day, they're 40 minutes late and they're supposed to be, you know, answering the phones for our customers who are calling in for support and being late in that kind of role is just unacceptable. And if you completely love, 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 love people, it's going to be very hard for you to have a hard conversation with that person to say, I need you to improve. Here's the impact on the rest of the team. Here's the impact on the company. And if you don't improve, then we're going to have another conversation. And if you still don't improve, I'm sorry, we're going to have to let you go. And if, if those, converse, those hard conversations 
don't come, they don't come naturally to any of us, but if they, if you can't get over the hump of having such a hard conversation, it will be very hard for you to have a career in HR, which is why I say that is not the best answer that you could give in the interview. That makes so much sense. And I don't think I ever would have put that together. But yeah, it would be really hard to have difficult conversations if you just love people real big with no. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. The second thing I would say is that, which is also tied to the third thing is, again, because HR has made a shift and continues to make a shift to be strategic business partners, you have to understand the business. You don't necessarily have to understand business, the nuts and bolts of business in general, like an accountant would, but you do need to understand the basics of how the business you support makes money, how the business you support grows, and not just the business, it could also be a function because we have HR people who support IT as an example. Um, so the things there you would need to know is, okay, what's the hot new skill? Or in our case, where we still have a mainframe and we need COBOL people, as an example, where can we find that outdated skill? How can we continue to keep those jobs attractive so those people don't either retire, which is probably most likely, or go someplace else? So understanding what drives the needs of the business or function is very, very important. And then get out of the weeds there. You know, you can easily get caught up in all of the paperwork, even though we're trying to go more paperless in HR, as opposed to focusing on the bigger picture and the strategic needs of the leaders. And so I would say that, you know, those are the two, two big, big things. Understand the business and don't get caught in the weeds. Be strategic. That makes so much sense that there would be a ton of paperwork. I love that it's moving to be more digital because that's the trend. But yeah, that is really a great point of not getting stuck in kind of the immediate functions, but really looking at the whole picture. And sometimes it's hard. I mean, we do have to say, you know, something can go wrong and, and it's all hands on deck. Look, something's wrong with payroll. It's erroring out. People aren't going to get it paid on time. Okay, student body, right? We shift, we take care of it. But, you know, day to day, focusing on the bigger picture is, is much more A, rewarding and B, more helpful to the business. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I will say about Fleet Corps HR as a whole, I... I don't think I've worked somewhere where HR felt so proactive before. So I definitely like feel that sense from from the team. There's there's a lot of like coming with ideas. And I think that's really awesome. Appreciate that. <laughs> we definitely try. We, we do. We have some work still to do, but we definitely are moving in the right direction. So I'm now wondering, what are some of the best resources that have helped you along the way in your career? Mm hmm. So um Resources can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but for me, it's anything and everything that's ever helped me. And the first are people. Um, at a few of the smaller companies where I worked in HR, it was definitely the peers. You know, they had been in HR for a while. I was new to HR and, you know, they helped me get grounded from 
you know, what you think HR is to what HR really is. Uh, you know, nowadays they have, um, you can major in HR in college and, you know, that's a relatively new thing and was not around when I was around, but, you know, you read a lot, you learn a lot, and it's just sometimes very different than, than what you've read and learned. So relying on those peers was very, very helpful for me early on in my career. The other thing I would say is a, another person that I relied greatly on was a mentor. Also at NBC, I had a mentor. Her name was Judy Smith, and she was the head of PR. And she also happened to be uh, a woman of color. And she, for whatever reason, took a liking to me and started teaching me all about the business of NBC and why, how and why, because I was her business, I was in HR, she was in PR and I was her business partner and the things that she needed and wanted as opposed to, you know, the normal paper processing that HR was still doing a bit of back then. So she's the one that really opened my eyes to what a true partnership could look like between a leader and an HR business partner. Um, she's the one that actually encouraged me, helped encourage me to go back to school. She's the one that wrote the recommendations for me to get into B school. Um, and so she was, she was really, really, really good to me and, and served as a mentor. Last person that I think I will say I've relied on, and let me, before I talk about this last person, let me also say that my, my team is a great resource as well. We bounce ideas off one another, we brainstorm together. And as I mentioned earlier, we laugh, we cry, we have fun, we dig in. And without them, I could not do this job. I would, I, I just couldn't. Um, so I do have to give kudos to my team as well. But the last person that I've, I've relied on greatly is an advocate. And my advocate has been Ron Clark. And he would never say it, he would never admit it, but he has been. So that first time, and I don't report to him, just to make everybody clear, I report to <laughs> Charles. And before Charles, I reported to Eric Day, who was our global CFO before Charles. Um, but I do work very, very closely with Ron on a lot of things. I am his HR business partner. And so we do, you know, lots of things together. And over the years, he has been my advocate. He could have said when we went international that first time, you know what? You don't have any international experience. I'm going to hire someone over you. He didn't say that. He said, do you know what you're doing? I said, no. <laughs> he said, are you going to figure it out? I said, absolutely. <laughs> and he said, okay. Um, and so all along the way, there have been many, you know, tipping points along our journey together where he could have said, you know, you aren't it. You don't have the experience. But he didn't. He advocated and said, look, what do I need? What do you need? How can I help you continue to be successful in HR along this journey with me? And, you know, if I hadn't had his advocacy, I don't know that I would have stayed as long as I have. Um, because, you know, the other thing, just to bring up a quick diversity point, we uh, women sometimes suffer from imposter syndrome 
and it's not that men can't suffer from it too. It's just more common in women. And sometimes we do question, can we really do this? And when you have an advocate advocating for you, it makes you more confident in what you can, can do and will do, you know, with the proper research training and go get ism. You have to, you have to be a go getter. I make up words all the time. So go get ism is my word word for today. Yes. That's the word of the day. I want it on a shirt. I, I think that your point about having an advocate is so important and so thoughtful. And I think something that like I try to keep in mind is like how to be the advocate for other people. And I think I've definitely experienced having an advocate here as well. And it's just, it's really lovely. I feel feel like there's a culture of lifting people up and especially with being women and imposter syndrome being a real thing. It's so nice to have that extra feeling of support. Exactly. Okay. I think we've come to our last question somehow. I feel like we've only started talking five minutes ago, but uh, last question. What is one common myth about your profession or your field that you want to debunk? Uh, two. Everyone thinks it's really easy and everyone thinks they're an HR expert. It's not, and they're not, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) But the other is that there are some things that just come with experience. When you're dealing with people, people are unpredictable and you have to be able to shift in the moment and adapt in the moment so that again, you can help people live up to their best potential at work. There's all kinds of books out there on how to lead. You know, you have to do situational leadership. You have to be a servant leader. All of these things, they are all very, very good in theory, but we deal with people all day, every day. And those theoretical models just don't always work. And so you have to take the whole person, the whole person and figure out how to make that whole person productive, happy, make them feel part of the culture, part of the team, et cetera. And it's really hard. And it's not something that you can learn from a book. You, you can, get the theories from the book and you can morph the theories and try to apply the theories, but it's really two people at the, at the core of it. HR is two people trying to relate to one another, trying to get something done. That is a great way to put it in a nutshell. I don't even think I thought about how unpredictable people are. (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) They really are. I, I don't know why I never considered that, but yeah, of course you could not get the skills down from a book because people are people, as the song says. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yes, they are. And that to me, I mean, that's why I love HR because I, you know, obviously, like I said, I studied psychology, so that's why I love HR. And again, um, people are unpredictable, but that's what makes the world go round. Yeah. Wow, this was so insightful. I feel like I have learned so much about Fleet Corps and HR and you. I am so grateful that you are on the show. And I 
hope that you had a fun time too. I did. Indeed, I did. It was nice to talk a little bit about my background. Of course, I always want to talk about my kids because I love them (laughs) to death. And, you know, a little bit about my leadership journey, if it helps others along the way, I am always happy to share. So thank you so much for having me. The opinions expressed on FinTech and Focus, People Power, are those of the speakers only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Corpe or Fleet Corps Incorporated.